You're listening to The Philip Jordan Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome into today's edition, the Wednesday edition of The Philip Jordan Show, right here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. Got a jam-packed show for you guys today. On today's show, we'll be talking more Alabama and Michigan. We'll be looking more on the Big Ten Michigan side with Dustin Schutte from Sports Illustrated and HoosiersNow.com where he covers the Big Ten. We will look back at the season that was the Big Ten, how we ended up with Michigan, Ohio State. We all pretty much figure that. What's up with Penn State? Look around the conference and how Michigan matches up with Alabama. Then I'll be joined by the radio voice of the South Alabama Jaguars, JT Crabtree. We will talk about the season for the Jaguars this year and preview their bowl matchup with Eastern Michigan. And then we'll go over some news around college football. You can check out the Philip Jordan Show podcast over at wiregrassdailynews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please follow, rate, and review. Leave a review and I will read it on a future edition of the show. And if you leave just four stars, you are just a straight up hater. You can email me at sports.philipjordan at gmail.com. Everybody, my first guest here today is Dustin Schutte. You can check him out over at Sports Illustrated and HoosiersNow.com. It's covering all things Big Ten. And uh, Dustin, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talk about the Michigan side of the Rose Bowl between Michigan and Alabama. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Philip. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It just. Uh, Hey, we get a classic matchup, right? I mean, the Rose Bowl, you get Michigan and Alabama. Those helmets on that field on that day. Uh, just uh, I know we're used to a Pac-12 Big Ten matchup, but if you can't have that Rose Bowl, this is a pretty good matchup being in the playoff too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you look at two of the more traditional powers in college football and even though until recently Michigan had kind of I don't want to say fallen on hard times because they were still a pretty solid program but they weren't really in the national championship picture until the last three seasons but and then obviously Alabama has been one of the most dominant programs in the history of college football so yeah you get two really storied programs two great traditional uniform uh, matchups if that's your thing uh, and then you get it in the Rose Bowl, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. I, I, this is going to be a really fun matchup. I'm excited to see it for a, a lot of different reasons this year. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get we'll get into that more in depth. But I also kind of just want to look at the Big Ten as a whole this year. I mean, just kind of came down kind of like we probably what everybody was expecting. Ohio State and Michigan there because, I, I mean, I'll say it from a guy down in the south, the Big Ten championship game was not played in – Indianapolis, it was played in Ann Arbor when those two played each other. But when you look at the conference overall this past year, what were some of the things that really stood out to you about it? Well, I thought that this year it was a bit of a disappointment when you look at the Big Ten West. Uh, and I know Iowa went 10-3 and when you count that Big Ten championship game loss. And, um, you know, from the, from the record standpoint, had a really solid season. But there was really no dominant team in the West. And I know we haven't really had a dominant team in the West for a lot of years, but I just thought it was a down year overall in general for that side of the division. And I think on the other side, as you mentioned, you know, it came down to Michigan, Ohio state. That's what everybody thought coming into the season. But really Philip, if you asked me at the beginning of the year, I thought Penn state was going to be a bigger factor. And I know that they had close games when they played on the road at Ohio state, and when they played Michigan at home, but I thought for sure that they would win one of those two, and we'd have some sort of, I don't know about three-way tie, but I thought Penn State would maybe be in the picture coming down to the to the final week of the season. So I was a little bit disappointed by that. I knew they had a new quarterback in Drew Aller uh, and were working on some, some pieces there. But I thought when you looked at what they had defensively on the defensive front, Manny Diaz, uh, Diaz coming back for another season as the defensive coordinator. They had a lot of really good, talented players, Chop Robinson on that defensive line. I just thought Penn State finally had that five-star quarterback. They had that missing piece to get him over the hump and get him back to Indianapolis. I actually thought Penn State was going to be the college football playoff contender this year. But um, this was kind of the year where it was the three dominant teams again in the Big Ten. You had Michigan and Ohio State kind of separating themselves. Penn State was in a tier on its own. And then you had a bunch of teams – you know, kind of the middle of the pack. Maryland was better than I think we, we expected at the beginning of the season. Rutgers is getting to a bowl game. And then you had, again, the mess in the Big Ten West where Iowa kind of emerged. And then you had teams like, you know, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Illinois, uh, Nebraska, all just kind of 
you know, it, trading shots all throughout the season. So it was fun. It wasn't the best football, wasn't the best quality, but it, it, was, a, it was a fun, interesting season uh, all the way from week one all the way to week uh, to the championship week. You know, you talk about Penn State, and that's something I did want to ask you about, just with them. It just seems like they're kind of like stuck at third best in the conference. It's like when they play Michigan and Ohio State last couple of years, they just can't get over that hump. And you talked about with Drew Aller. I know watching them play against Ohio State, that one, I just felt like he was just off that game. He was just missing throws that he'd been making all year. And then, you know, there were some struggles, obviously, against Michigan. What do you think it is? What does Penn State need to kind of get over that hump to get past those two teams? You know, I think the biggest issue is, and I think James Franklin is an excellent coach. I think he makes some in-game mistakes, uh, particularly with clock management, timeout use, uh, play calling at, at times. I think he has to hand the reins of the offense completely over to whoever, you know, the offensive coordinator is going to be, um, who, who the next offensive coordinator is. This is going to be his, I believe, sixth offensive coordinator he's had during his time at Penn State. And if you notice, like, when you have that many changes at that position, that's usually not an offensive coordinator problem. That's a head coaching problem. Uh, and so I think that James Franklin needs to back off a little bit and maybe allow his OC um, – to have a little bit more control of the offense. Cause I think that's the biggest issue that's been kind of hindering this team. Their defense typically under James Franklin has been outstanding. They've had really good defenses, really good defensive players Their defensive line. I, I think, I still think their defensive line was probably the best in the country, but because they had those losses to Michigan and Ohio state, maybe didn't get quite the recognition they deserved, but he's got a, he, he has to allow his OC to be an offensive coordinator, allow his quarterbacks to develop, take some chances down the field. It just seems like in some of these bigger games against Ohio State and Michigan especially, he just plays extra conservative. He doesn't have great in-game management. And so for those reasons, they haven't been able to beat Ohio State and Michigan. And honestly, unless he gets that you know, figured out, I don't think it matters who the offensive coordinator is going to be. They're going to continue to struggle in those games. So he has to take a step back, maybe take a look in the mirror and say, you know what, i got to back off a little bit, maybe not be quite the micromanager on that side of the ball, and then maybe they can figure it out and get back to Indianapolis. You know, in Ohio State, look, they've got the same problem with Michigan now. I mean, it's three straight yeah. games they've lost to them. They haven't beat Michigan since 2019 because people don't remember they did not play each other in 2020. Same thing kind of with them, with Ryan Day. Obviously, they get to that point, one loss throughout the year. I mean, it didn't hurt them last year. They still got into the playoff last year didn't weren't fortunate that happened this year kind of online the same question what do you think what is that issue been now where ryan day is kind of falling behind michigan and look they're more talented i mean anybody can look at the rosters and this is not a, a shot at michigan and if anybody's listening that's a michigan fan um, i'm not been well coached you're a great team but when you look on paper ohio state's got more nfl players that's just kind of how it's been but what is it about that with ohio state you think they can't get past michigan well, I think this year in particular, what really hindered Ohio State throughout the course of the season, now their last four games was a little bit different, but they had trouble running the football, and they had some really good running backs with Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, um, and Chip Trainum, and, and they just really struggled to run the football. I think you can go back to some of those non-conference games they played earlier this season, and even though they were able to pile up you know, 140, 150 yards on the ground, you look at their yards per carry, and it was still you know, around three or four yards. They got things fixed. I think it was four, three of his last four games or four of his final five games. Um, Travion Henderson rushed for over 100 yards. So it looked like they were getting things figured out. I just think that their offensive line is not as good as when Ryan Day inherited the program after Urban Meyer in 2018. And so he's even said in his press conferences throughout the course of the season, we have to be able to push people around. We have to be able to run the football effectively. That's how we're going to win. And I think in, in, in previous seasons, they've had quarterbacks that were talented enough, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, um, Dwayne Haskins, just to name a few guys, who were able to beat teams with their arm. And they just – obviously they went 11-1, and one, so you don't want to criticize them too much here, but Kyle McCord just didn't have that same level as those other guys. He wasn't quite as effective. So you have to be able to run the ball. You have to be able um, to mix it up and keep defenses guessing, at least to some extent. And while they did get some things figured out at the end of the season, ultimately it just didn't work against Michigan. So I think that they have to address some things on the offensive line. And then the other thing is Ohio State under Urban Meyer was really good at getting pressure on the quarterback, getting sacks, getting takeaways. Ohio State's defense was much improved this season compared to the previous two seasons. 
They still didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They still didn't force a lot of turnovers. So those are some two key areas. And again, 11-1 season, you're still going to the Cotton Bowl, so we're kind of nitpicking here. But in Columbus, you have to win that game. Otherwise, you're going to be criticized like we're, we're criticizing him right now. So I think those are the two biggest issues that, that Ryan Day needs to address. And it's going to be interesting because obviously Kyle McCord transferred from Ohio State to Syracuse. Um, they're going to be ushering in a new quarterback. So I'm really interested to see uh, what the Buckeyes look like going forward in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, it's kind of like where I'm at down in Alabama. Like, like last year, Alabama goes 10-2, and lost both those games by combined four points, but it was a failure of a season. I mean, there's, what, 90% of the rest of the country, they would take 10-2 and or 11-1, Cotton Bowl, Sugar Bowl, every year but it's it was certain programs like in ohio state like alabama it's just different yeah absolutely and th- those guys are are usually judged based on you know a few games you know you could it, it's to some extent alabama has a maybe uh a, a few more rivalry games they got that game against lsu that some consider a rivalry obviously auburn so you got to win those games but again this is not overly critical of ohio state but when it's the most important game on the schedule and you keep losing it that's where you get put under the magnifying glass, and I think that that's the situation that Ryan Day finds himself in. Look, people have already calling, you know, some crazy fans want to call for his job. It's like, I don't know if you want to do that after just losing one game in the regular season the last two years, um, but that's just how it goes in Columbus and for Ohio State. You have to beat Michigan on a regular basis. You have to be competing for national championships. I don't think Ryan Day's job's in jeopardy. He's been really good. Um, he's you know, just he's a couple of plays away from a national championship. He's been in the college football playoff pretty frequently. Um, so I don't think his job's in jeopardy, but he does need to get this figured out or you're going to have uh, a pretty disgruntled fan base get even uh, a little bit more agitated if he doesn't get it out, figured out pretty quickly. Yeah, Lou Holtz, too. He's got to worry about him, too, as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you got to fight him, right? That's it. That's it with Lou Holtz. Uh, I had to throw that one in there. So let's talk about this Michigan-Alabama game. And just for you – with Michigan. Okay, this is the third straight year in the playoff. Obviously, the first two, they haven't got past the semifinal. They're wanting to get past that point. And then when you draw Alabama, that probably has to say, okay, that's this is not your typical maybe four seed if we're the number one seed here having to deal with Alabama. But what's different about this year's Michigan team that maybe you've seen from the previous two seasons? Well, I just wanted to, to touch on, you know, maybe not a traditional four seed in Alabama. And I don't know if you saw, but when – uh, when Michigan figured out who or found out who they were playing in the in the Rose Bowl and saw it was going to be Alabama, that room, that watch party was pretty silent. So I think mm-hmm. that they know the task that they're up against. So I think that just preaches to you know how good Alabama is, knowing they have to go against Nick Saban. They know that th- this is not going to be an easy game. And I, you know, I don't I don't really know if I notice anything different from this Michigan team as compared to seasons past. To be quite honest with you, Philip, and that's kind of my concern if I'm a Michigan fan heading into this game uh, because Jim Harbaugh has, has done a phenomenal job and we will, we'll put the, the spy or the, the signal stealing and the spy gate and all that stuff. We'll put that aside for now, but he's done an excellent job in the regular season, but in these games, when he's played teams, he's not really familiar with in the college football playoff, Michigan has fallen short. Uh, and so I think one of the interesting aspects of this game to me uh, is going to be how much pressure Alabama is going to put on J.J. McCarthy because I noticed this towards the end of the season. Michigan's offensive line caught a lot of praise, and it was expected to be one of the best in the Big Ten and in the country again this season. But you watch them when they played that Purdue game. The Purdue, which was a 4-8 and eight team this season, that Purdue defensive front, which was really good, they had the two sack leaders in the Big Ten, they got a lot of pressure on J.J. McCarthy, and they were able to get in the backfield quite a bit and and I think that there are some issues on the offensive line that Alabama is going to be able to take advantage of Alabama had 38 sacks this season they were one of the top teams um, in the SEC in that department so I'm really intrigued to see how Michigan's offensive line is going to hold up now the caveat to that is J.J. McCarthy for anybody that's watched the Michigan football game this season he is really really good really really accurate outside the pocket so if Alabama is going to bring pressure, they've got to get to him because he can extend plays with his legs. And I swear, Phillip, he looks like he's a more accurate passer, never gives up on a play when he's on the run. So just because you flush him out of the pocket, just because you're getting pressure on him, you have to bring him down. You have to cover those wide receivers because they are talented enough. He can make a play on the run. No play is ever dead with, with McCarthy um, under center. 
Yeah, and of course with Michigan, they want to run the football. That's that's their bread and butter. That's what Jim Harbaugh wants to do. I mean, if you watch any Jim Harbaugh coach team, whether it's when he's at NFL 49ers, Stanford, anywhere, they're going to want to run want to want run the football. So, but I also say that, and you mean J.J. McCarthy, look, Alabama has had some issues with some running quarterbacks this year. I mean, Jaden Daniels, was he's out of this world this year. You look at the Iron Bowl, Peyton Thorne, had a pretty successful day on the quarterback design run game for Auburn. So you would have to think that's something too with Jim Harbaugh and his Michigan team. They got to look at that. So, okay, we may have to use JJ more in the run game this time because what other teams have been able to do against Alabama? Oh, I think so. And I think, you know, it's not to say he's going to rush for 100 yards or 150 yards, but I think that's going to be an added wrinkle. I think Sharon Moore is going to incorporate that a little bit into their offense just because there have been teams that have been able to, to give Alabama some trouble. But again, I, I really think where they can take advantage of Alabama is J.J. McCarthy just being so effective when he's on the move. Um, it, it's, it's really something to, to see. Those receivers are really good when they get into the scramble drill. They have three guys on their roster who have uh, totaled more than, than 500 receiving yards this season. So you got Cornelius Johnson you know, leading that pack. Roman Wilson's a really good wide receiver for him. So J.J. McCarthy has – I think he will run the football some design runs, but I think where he's going to be most dangerous is when they get pressure if they can't get him down. When he gets outside the pocket, he can launch it down the field. He can pick up some yards with his legs. But like I said, the play is just never over, and so that's something that Alabama's defense is going to have to be wary of. Yeah, and as talented as Alabama secondary is, they've had some breakdowns this year against some teams uh, in the secondary with some of that stuff. So let's flip on the other side when Alabama's on offense versus the Michigan defense. And I'm just you know just going through. Of course, you know I'm down here in the SEC, so you obviously have seen a lot more Big Ten football than I have. But is there a quarterback that Michigan has seen this year that can that's anywhere similar to what they're going to see with Jalen Milrow? No, I don't think so, um, because I think Kyle McCord's a really talented quarterback, but he was pretty one-dimensional. Uh, T- Talia Tungavailoa, again, he's a really good quarterback. He does have the capability to run, but he's not as effective and he's not as elusive as Jalen Milrow. So um, I really don't think so. They've seen a lot of pocket passers. They've seen um, – they don't really they – ha- they haven't really seen a, a player who is as effective running the football and throwing the football as Jalen Milrow, and if they have – the offensive line that they're seeing just isn't isn't hasn't been that good. And this is a Michigan defense that has forced 24 turnovers this season. Mike Sanderson is one of the best players, um, a, a defensive back, one of the best players in all of college football. He's a guy that's five interceptions, but he's also gotten four tackles for loss. So he can be all over the field. Michigan's defensive uh, front um, gotten a lot of sacks on, on teams this year. So it might be uh, a little bit looking in the mirror because Jalen Milner is another guy who can extend plays. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on this Michigan front to try to bring him down and, and try to stop Alabama's passing attack. But I do think that Michigan does have the bodies to do it. They've had really good players all season long. It, this is, I think this is the reason why I have concerns and questions about what Michigan's defense is going to be able to do, just because they have not seen an offense like this against Alabama. They have not seen a quarterback like they're going to see in Jalen Milrow all season long. Um, so to me, even though I think that Michigan has a lot of talented guys, they've got a really good defensive front with Jalen Harrell, Josiah Stewart, Derek Moon, Mason Graham, a lot of those guys up front. I, I just think this is going to be a completely different animal. So they better be ready for it because if not, uh, Alabama can pick apart that secondary. Yeah, and a big part of what Alabama wants to do too, look, I've, I've been critical and I've talked about it a lot, that Jalen Milrow at times, his intermediate passing isn't always probably where it needs to be. But – there's not many quarterbacks in the country that can throw a better deep ball than he can. And then was Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton. So that's got to be a big thing, too, for Michigan. The safeties, do not let the Alabama receivers get past you. Kind of like, you know, I'm going to compare it to the NFL we saw on Sunday with the Bills and the Cowboys. The Buffalo Bills played their safeties deep. I mean, yeah, they were going to give up something underneath, but they weren't going to let the, the receiver, C.D. Lamb and company, beat them deep. You know, for Michigan, you got, obviously they're looking at that. you got got to know that and that Alabama likes to hit the deep shot holding that within, keeping those receivers in front of you. And I think that was a big issue in last year's game against TCU, right? They gave up some some deep balls. So when you got players like Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton on the outside, your defensive backs are going to be tested. So I think that that's going to be, you know, a really interesting matchup in, in, in this game in particular because, again – 
they did a – I don't know if they did a good job, but Marvin Harrison Jr. finished the game with five catches. I, I don't remember his, his yardage total. It was over 100 yards, but he was able – um, to kind of have his way, and I don't know why Ohio State didn't target him more throughout that game. I think he only had six or seven targets in, in those five catches, and, and maybe if they would have thrown it to him 13 or 14 times, maybe we're talking about a different outcome. Uh, but that's beside the point. So I do think that when you have two talented receivers like Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond, I do think that that's going to put Michigan's defensive backs in trouble, and I do think that those guys are capable of beating them deep. So it's going to be interesting to see what their defensive approach is uh, in that situation. So uh, yeah, it, it's it's a there's a lot of really interesting matchup across the field on on both sides of the ball, but that's another one that I think is going to be uh, a key factor in this game. You know, and um, as we close it up, final question: uh, any you know other keys you think to this game, particularly on the Michigan side, for them to come out with a victory? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to I think it comes down to two things, and it's this is this is you know a cliche and and. So I think, yeah, one of the biggest, you know, I, I think the keys to this game is going to be Michigan's offensive line play. I, because I think as much as I talked about and raved about how J.J. McCarthy is good under pressure and able to extend plays, he's not going to be able to do that against an athletic team and an athletic defensive front like Alabama for four quarters. They, they're they going to have to block. They're going to have to create some space. They're going to, like you said, they're going to have to be able to run the football. Blake Corm was a thousand yard rusher, had 24 touchdowns this season. They do know how to run the football, but they're going to be in some of those passing situations. They're going to be in third and long, third and medium, where they're going to have to throw the ball and they're going to have to protect J.J. McCarthy. And they're, again, at times this season, they just weren't able to do that as effectively as I think we thought they would be able to. Um, so that's one factor. And then the other thing, just get Jalen Milrow to the ground if you're um, and, and I think you've mentioned this, Philip. Don't let the deep, don't let the wide receivers beat you deep. Um, make them nickel and dime you. Make them earn their yardage. Make them wear you down. Uh, don't give up the explosive plays. And so I think that's, that's kind of a lot, right? I just basically encompass the whole game. But I think you can't let the the explosive plays, and then you got to protect, run block, uh, offensive line. I think play, I think offensive line play for Michigan in this one's going to be huge. Yeah, it's it's. It's an interesting matchup, and I think both teams have a chip on their shoulder. I think everybody talked about well, Alabama. Yep. People, the way they came back this season, they said they got a chip on their shoulder. I think Michigan does too as well, but just because everything that's going on with them. So it's going to be a fun game, New Year's Day, 4 o'clock Central time on that field. Those those uniforms, it's going to be fun. And, uh, Dustin, this has been fun. And if uh, you don't mind, let the listeners and viewers, uh, where can they find you if you want to check you out? Yeah, so you can find me on uh... – HoosiersNow.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Shooty Dustin, at S-C-H-U-T-T-E-D-U-S-T-I-N. All right, everybody go check out Dustin's great work covering all things Big Ten. And uh, Dustin, appreciate time, and I hope we can do this again sometime down the road. All right, thanks, Philip. Really appreciate it. 96.9 The Legend is your connection to classic country legends. But Digio Strategies has other options too. News Talk 103.9 is your source for America's top news and entertainment shows like Rick and Bubba in the morning, Glenn Beck from 9 till 11 a.m. and Clay Travis and Buck Sexton middays from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. Sean Hannity, Lars Larson, Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh and others fill your day with the latest news and views from America's top conservative voices. America at night and coast to coast am keep you company and connected throughout the night plus fox news the alabama radio network and wiregrass daily news keep you informed with national international state and local news and with more musical choices like all the hits 1067 kmx today's country 95.5 wtvy and music 1077 digio strategies gives you more choices and more variety listen on air online and on our apps 96.9 the legend is just the beginning all right my second guest today here on the philip jordan show here on wiregrass daily news sports i am joined by the radio voice of south alabama jt crabtree and uh, jt i appreciate you, you coming on the show today yeah thanks for having me man good to be talking with you yeah, absolutely absolutely uh fun week there in mobile uh with south alabama getting to play the bowl game at home just uh, it's got to be an exciting week there around the program this week it is. You know, it's, uh, it's bowl week. Uh, excited to be back in a postseason game. We're uh, in the postseason for 
back-to-back years for the first time in program history. You know, still a young football team that just got started in uh, in '09 and wasn't full FBS till '13. So uh, exciting to be back in the postseason for back-to-back years. Uh, a cool opportunity to be playing in Mobile and in our own stadium, which is uh, something honestly we didn't know was possible. We kind of thought that. Uh, you know, a lot of what goes into to bowl season and bowl games in these in these different cities is the tourism dollars and hospitality and whatnot. And so we kind of uh, wrongfully assumed that you know us being in in city that uh, we would never be selected for this game. But a really cool opportunity to be playing once again in Mobile and uh, be playing in Mobile's bowl game and to have Mobile's team in that bowl game. So a really cool opportunity to come up this weekend against Eastern Michigan. Yeah, just uh, how much, you know, obviously you've seen it from the team perspective and also from you just broadcasting these games. It just feels like, it's, you know, it's not a regular home game. It's a bowl game. It's a postseason game. But still, at the same time, it's routine-wise like just a normal regular season home game. Uh, a, a little bit. You know, our schedule will be a little changed just because the bowl dictates kind of your available times and whatnot. But the practice facility will still be the same. We'll still be at the Jaguar Training Center for our, our daily practices. Uh, the team will be staying downtown, which we do for home games, but we'll be staying actually in the hotel next door. So that'll be a little different. Um, the big change will be we will actually be the visiting team in our own stadium. So not only will we be on the visiting sideline, but we'll also be in the visiting team locker room in our own stadium, which will be a, a unique opportunity. Uh, we were actually supposed to be in the visiting radio booth for the game, but uh, Greg Steiner with Eastern Michigan, we were talking earlier this week. He uh, he was actually like, dude, just do what you need to do. You want to stay in your home booth? Do not move out of it. It's your own place. Do what you want. Uh, so that, that'll be interesting to, to see how we handle the, the slight changes. You know, And like you said, it's, it's still a football game. You still got to go out there and play the football game and get your business done. So I'm curious how we will respond. It's been a, you know, almost a full month since we last played. Uh, with the the portal and opt outs and whatnot and everything the way college football is now, our roster from both sides will will look a little different as well. But uh, I'm excited, man. You know, an opportunity to stay home is is really cool. An opportunity for our fans, I think, is is great to hopefully be cheering us on to our first ever bowl win. This is our fourth bowl appearance. We haven't won one yet, so uh, a really cool opportunity to stay home and make some history for this program. Hopefully, we can we can take care of it on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking about you talking about how uh, South Alabama is going to be the the visiting team in their own stadium. I just kind of wonder when the players come out on the field, are they going to like it's just muscle memory? Going to say, okay, we got to go to this side line, but then they know, no, we have to go on the visitor side. Just you know, just that whole ordeal is going to probably the opening part would have to feel I I would think a little awkward for the players on that side. I imagine so, uh, especially with the way the tunnel situated at Hancock Whitney Stadium, where we typically our, – our home locker room is situated on the, the near sideline of the press tower, which is the, the west side of the building. And the, the team comes out, turns left, and then goes in the middle tunnel on a typical home game. Uh, being in the visiting team locker room, we're going to come out of the far tunnel on the east side of the building and just run straight out onto the sideline. So that will be different. Um, what's nice and should be a little familiar at least is – while the majority of our fans are not used to having to sit on that side, that's actually what in our student section normally is. So they're still used to seeing red, white, and blue over there. Just some of our fans aren't used to seeing the field from that side. But um, I think you know, initially, yes, it'll be a little awkward. But uh, I think when they run out and they, they hear you know, the, the Jaguar marching band and the, the folks wearing red, white, and blue cheering for them, I think that'll, it'll snap out of it pretty quickly. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Get that whole crowd, and that'd be good. That'd be you have a good crowd, I'm sure, there on Saturday night. Uh, this season, before we jump into the bowl game, the matchup. I know coming into the year, there was a lot of high expectations for this Jaguar team, and and that's a good thing. You know, after a ten win season last year, and then in the regular season, two very close games. I mean, I remember talking to somebody before the season. I mean, last year you could have very very easily you could have seen an undefeated Jaguars team there south alabama but this year they go six to six and they had the the high of beating oklahoma state in their place 33 to seven you finish six and six how, how would you best evaluate uh, the season for south alabama uh a season of inconsistencies really um you know you had a lot of great moments like you mentioned uh dominating oklahoma state at their place and then 
especially seeing how Oklahoma State finished the year playing a pretty darn good football. Um, that's, that's a great feather in your cap um, for us as a program that's honestly our biggest win in program history. It's only our second Power 5 win. But uh, you know, just the way we dominated a Power 5 program, we've never done that before. So uh, a great moment that we'll always remember. But then you look at, say, the take the, the next game. When we return home, we play Central Michigan, and we lose on, on homecoming to a Central Michigan team that's not bowling right now. And so it was just a just an up-and-down season. You, know, you have the big wins there, a bad loss. Then you had a two-game stretch between playing at Louisiana, Monroe, and playing against Southern Miss, and you outscored the two of them combined 110-10. to 10, And then you lose the next week to, to Louisiana by 13 at home. So just really an inconsistent season, unfortunately. You know, we, we had some really, really good moments. And we weren't really injury-riddled either. We had a couple of guys, you know, some, some big names hurt, but some guys stepped up in their place. It just We never seemed to find the consistency or just the what we did well in those games where we really shined. We weren't able to do that on a week-to-week basis, it seemed like. And so that was a little bit frustrating, but um, – your offense played great in the, the last game of the season on the road at Texas State, albeit in a loss. But you had your starting quarterback get hurt in that game, and you still were able to score the football, which that's majorly encouraging. But the defense the week before the Texas State game shut out Marshall, but then gives up 52 on the road the next week. So just the ups and downs have been uh, frustrating, and the inconsistency has been kind of head-scratching a little bit. But uh, – I think being back home and having really a, a month to kind of put the games behind you and just settle in, um, I, I think it will do us some good. And I think we'll start to – I think we'll finally see the version of the Jags uh, that we kind of expected all year, albeit without some of the Keenan guys with uh, Lacey and Webb not playing for us. But I, I think you'll see a pretty good version of South Alabama, maybe not the best version, but the best we can do right now when we play Eastern Michigan. Yeah, and look, I know it don't make, especially coaches or players feel any better you say this, but you're also playing in a very, very tough Sun Belt. I mean, uh, a league that has 12 teams playing in bowl games. So this league, too, and I'll put it up there with any any of the uh, the group of five conferences, just the the depth of the Sun Belt. It, it's tough week in and week out. Yeah, it's a tough league, man. You know, you look uh, a couple of weeks or a couple of years ago, rather, and, you know, we were getting three, four teams in, and okay, yeah, great. You know, we're competitive in some games here or there. We have some, some entertaining contests and bowl games and some good matchups, but and now you're looking at 12 of the 14 teams in the league got in. I mean, that's unprecedented. We only have five direct bowl tie-ins, and we had seven more teams that still had to find a place to play in the postseason. So I, I think it's a great job by some conference, you know, the conference align, realignment, rather, Nowadays, it's just crazy with teams bouncing around everywhere for TV money, and there's no regionality to it. And I think that's what makes college athletics and college sports just so great is the regional rivalries and the communities backing the local team and becoming familiar, honestly, with the opponent's team as well because they're so close and you play them so often. I think the Sunbelt Conference has done a great job of focusing on that, keeping the regional rivals, keeping the, the geography while it's starting to expand, but not anything crazy. You're not looking at any coast-to-coast trips. So I think the conference is in a great spot. I know that, you know, we're talking right now, and next week the the landscape of college athletics might be completely different at that point. But I think the Sunbelt Conference, regardless of where that landscape goes, I think the league's in a really good spot right now. Yeah, it is. And uh, talk about the bowl game. And just uh, saying this, 68 Ventures Bowl, I just remembered the, the Mobile Bowl game having so many different names <laughs> over the years. Uh, so, But anyways, with this matchup, and you mentioned players won't be there for South Alabama. Colin Lacey entered the portal. He's gone. And, of course, uh, running back Damian Webb, he got injured. He'll be out. But uh, Carter Bradley, uh, what's the latest you've uh, heard on him and his status for Saturday? Yeah, he's still a little banged up, but he's going to give it a go. You know, Carter's only missed one in his Jaguar career, and he wanted every bit of the opportunity to go play in that game against Troy this year, but he had to sit it out. It was a short week after uh, getting hurt on a Saturday, and we played on a Thursday. But uh, he's going to give it a go. But I would not be surprised at all if we see three different quarterbacks for South Alabama 
uh, out there Saturday against Eastern Michigan. I don't think that is a, a slight at all on Carter Bradley or anything indicative of his health. It's just the fact that we've got three guys that can legitimately play quarterback for us this year. Obviously, Carter Bradley shattered records in his time with South Alabama, but freshman Gio Lopez is the future of this program, and he got the start against Troy, and he looked pretty darn good. And then last week, six-year man Desmond Trotter, who was a starter, and then he was replaced by a transfer quarterback, then he was replaced by a transfer quarterback, then he was replaced by a transfer quarterback, and he stuck it out every single year. He's the ultimate teammate, man. He's just such a good dude, and he's stuck with his program through everything. And then he steps up in the biggest way in our, our season finale against Texas State, and he ties the program record with four passing touchdowns. He, he was tremendous for us last time out, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see Carter Bradley, Gio Lopez, and Desmond Trotter all at some point playing in that 68 Ventures Bowl. You know, talking about that running back, like I said, you know, LaDamian Webb, I know a player that I think his name has been out there, or Braylon McReynolds. Just, you know, how, how do you see South Alabama's run game minus LaDamian Webb? Yeah, you're right. It's it's going to be Braylon McReynolds, and he's going to be the main guy. He's been a, a big part of our offense last year as a true freshman. He broke his collarbone week one this year on a kick return at Tulane. So that held him out for a while. He actually came back ahead of schedule uh, I think week 13. And so he came back. He looked a little rusty. Then the second game after his return, he looked really sharp. And then last time out against Texas State when he had to start in place of the injured web, he looked really good and liked his old self. You know, he's he's a smaller back, but he's shifty. He's quick. He's explosive. He's really dynamic in the passing game as well. And I think that's what really adds a dimension to his game where, yes, he's good on special teams. Yes, he's good at carrying the football and he's quick. But also, he's a very good route runner and a good pass catcher, and so that adds another dynamic to our offense. And if we roll out there Desmond Trotter, or especially if we roll out the younger Gio Lopez out there, you're going to need some checkdown guys and someone you can depend on to just dump the football off, and Braylon's that guy. And so I think he's going to be a huge, huge factor. Yes, we're going to miss LaDainian, but I don't think we're going to see a giant drop-off in production from the running game because of the different assets of the game that Braylon McReynolds brings us. And uh, looking at this matchup, just what sticks out to you this matchup against uh, Eastern Michigan in, in the bowl game on Saturday? Well, I'm curious, initially for us, our offense, you know, missing those pieces without Lacey and Webb, how are we going to look offensively? Because Eastern Michigan defensively is pretty stout. And, you know, they had, at the time, the best tackling duo in the country with their two linebackers combining for over 300 tackles on the year. So uh, I'm curious to see, or almost 300 tackles, excuse me, but I'm curious how that matchup will play out. Can our offense move the football against their, their tough defense? But also, can our defense get back to the way we're used to playing? You know, we, we looked bad, to be honest, against Texas State defensively. We were carved up left and right. We gave up explosive plays, which is legitimately the principle of our defense is not allowing explosive plays. And so if we can get out there and control the line of scrimmage and not give them anything offensively, I think we'll be fine in the ballgame, especially when you look at what Eastern Michigan's done as a as a whole this year on offense. They haven't been great, and now they're without their starting quarterback, Austin Smith, who's in the portal, and so they're going with two very unproven quarterbacks who combined in their career have 95 yards of total offense, no touchdowns, and four picks. So I'm curious how our which version of our defense shows up. And going back to that inconsistency for us this year, does the good defense show up that shut out Marshall for the second-to-last game of the year, or does the version that gave up 52 at Texas State show up? I think that's going to be the key match that we'll keep an eye on. Yeah, I was looking at Eastern Michigan's offensive numbers and stuff like that, and I was like, whoa, they just really – and I don't mean this as an insult or a shot, so anybody out there, please don't take it away, but really a team that – scratched and clawed their way into the postseason because when you look at if you just were to look at their offensive numbers you know, just without looking at their record and the win loss so you said wow this team probably isn't a bowl team hey they got six wins yeah they're they they got in and that that's the important part right they yeah. got in for the the postseason that's that's what matters uh and they're a program that historically has not been very good but they've been much better in their last recent years. You know, they got a, a bowl victory last year in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. They went a long way to go play that bo- that ball game all the way up in Boise. So I think that just shows the, the character of this program is that they're figuring out ways to win. And honestly, that's something that South Alabama hasn't been able to do. We haven't been able to win that big game. I mentioned here we're 0-3 all-time in bowl games. And Eastern Michigan, while historically they haven't been great, 
they've got more pole wins than us, and that matters. And so I think I think that will play dividends in the fact that they've been here before. They've done it. They've won. We haven't. And that, that's, that's, a, that's going to be a big factor as well. Yes, I have covered one of their bowl games a couple years ago at the Camellia Bowl. They played Georgia Southern. And uh, Bass, who's the current kicker for the Bills, kicked the game win a field goal yep. in that one. I, I remember that. So I, I was thinking when you were mentioning their bowl history, I was like, hold up, I think I covered them in one before. So, yeah, they have a little bit of history getting into bowl games. Uh, just in, in, in looking looking at this, at this game, you know, obviously we talked about uh, Lacey not being there for South Alabama. But – they are not lacking receiver talent. Kind of Jamal Pritchett, he's had a really good year for South Alabama. Yeah, JP's been great. You know, he's a transfer from Tuskegee, and he was a walk-on kid before uh, before the season started. He he jumped right in. He he really really was impressive in fall camp. They gave him a scholarship, and then Devin Voison, who was our number one receiver, got hurt. Uh, Colin Lacy is elevated. And Jamal Pritchett's elevated, and he stepped up. And he you know without Colin Lacy, Pritchett's going to be our main guy. In the passing game, you'll see Javon Ivory step in there a good bit. He actually had a great game, his best game in a Jaguar uniform since transferring from Memphis last time out against Texas State. You'll see him a good bit. You'll see tight end DJ Thomas-Jones, who had a career game with three touchdowns against Texas State last time out as well. So you'll see some other guys step up, but Pritchett's definitely going to be the, the main target for us in the passing game. You know, with a last question, you know, we, we kind of broke this thing down, talked about South Alabama. Uh, any other uh, key matchups or any, you know, key factors going into this this game on Saturday for South Alabama to come out on top? Yeah, again, I think it's going to be, is this defense capable of shutting down anything offensively from Eastern Michigan? And can our offense consistently move the football? Um, and I know that's kind of a cliche answer. <laughs> <laughs> Talking both sides of the football, but I'll, let me stick on the offensive side. If we can consistently move the ball down the field and score points, I think we'll be fine. Um, you know, defensively, I think we'll find our footing again, uh, especially against a, uh, a a a MAC offense in Eastern Michigan that has struggled with the quarterback that they had starting all year, and now they don't have him. So I think they're going to struggle to find some consistency offensively. It's just going to be the big key of can we just make sure we take care of our opportunities. I think that's going to be the big thing I'm looking for. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out on Saturday. And, uh, JT, this has been a lot of fun having you here on the show. If the listeners, viewers want to check it out, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, probably best way. Uh, I'm on Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, uh, at JT Crabtree USA is the best way to find me there. And then uh, anything on our website, usajaguars.com, we've got listen links and whatnot. Um, I know you're over in the Wiregrass. We're over on uh, WOZK over there in, uh, in the Wiregrass as well on our radio network. So um, that's, that's the best way to find us and to find all things South Alabama. All right. Sounds good, JT. Anyways, I appreciate the time and uh, hope we can do this again sometime down the road. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. Go Jags. A new soccer club is coming to Dothan, Alabama, and you get to name the team. From now until December 24th, cast your vote for your favorite team name or submit your own name. Everyone who votes will get a pair of tickets to the opening night. Limit one pair per household. Go to 969thelegend.com to vote. Once again, thanks to Dustin Schutte and JT Crabtree for coming on this edition of the Philip Jordan Show right here on Wiregrass Daily News Sports. Now we're going to look at some news and notes that we've seen over the last couple of days. And college football is going to dominate this segment of the show, and particularly here in the state of Alabama. The Troy Trojans have a new head football coach in Jared Parker, who's coming over from Notre Dame, where he was the office coordinator this past season, where the team averaged 39.1 points per game. Of course, he was replacing Tommy Reese, who went on to Alabama this year he is the 24th head coach therefore the troy trojans replacing john sermerall who of course went 23 and 4 his only two years there and two some about titles he talked about in the press conference on tuesday how he is from a small town he said we're going to put our heads down and go to work and find our way there we will develop we will graduate our players and we will win championships and look at him think i mean with what John Summerall has done, we'll ignore the Chip Lindsay era, and then with Neil Brown too as well. Championships are expected 
at Troy. Uh, Some belt championships are the expectations. Some former coaches and that are connected to Troy and coaches that Coach Parker has worked with had some comments and thoughts. Uh, this is also coming from the Troy Trojan social media. Uh, David Cutcliffe, former Duke head coach who Coach Parker worked under, there was never a doubt in my mind that Jared would get a head job. His talent as a coach starts with being a great relationship builder. Jared is a great football mind and has a true passion for the game. I'm excited for Troy, and I'm excited for Jared and his wonderful family. Then Coach John Summerall, now at Tulane, but former Troy head coach, he goes, I've known Jared Parker since our playing days at Kentucky, and he has always been a person of high character. Jared is a strong leader with a tremendous work ethic, and I know he will work tirelessly to build Troy football to its absolute best. The Troy community will embrace and welcome Jared, Candy, and their kids, and the Parker family will engage that community in in a way that will leave a lasting impact. Jared is the perfect fit for Troy football, and I'm excited to watch him take that program to new heights. Another former head coach at Troy, Neil Brown, who had worked with Jared Parker, he said this, I'm excited for Jared and his family, and I'm excited for Troy football and its amazing fans. He coaches with passion, is very detailed in his approach, cares tremendously for his players, and has great energy. Jared, Candy, and their four kids will be an excellent fit for Troy in the Wiregrass community. I have no doubt that he will build on the storied tradition of Troy football. Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman, he also had this to say, congratulations to Jared as he takes on this great opportunity at Troy. I've had the chance to work closely with Jared for a number of years, and what stands out to me the most are his leadership skills and how tirelessly he works to get the most out of his players. We wish Jared and his family all the best on a new adventure. And he had a lot of passion. You could tell uh, from his press conference, introductory press conference, it talked really too long there, but you could tell the passion. You could tell he's determined. And I see like Troy has done a good job and has found another great head coach. Now here is a quote he had uh, there toward the end of the press conference. He wanted to talk about the brand of football and something he, uh, he knows about the Troy football field there at the vet. Um, the brand of football I want everybody to know right now, and I've told Brent and Dr. Hawkins, listen, the way this place goes, we have to play great de- defense. And I love this word. Our defense is going to create havoc. That word is, is a powerful word that's used around here from what I understand, and that's the defense we want to keep playing. Our offense is going to be attacking in every way. That's my mentality. That's the only way I know how to do it, and that's what we'll do on offense, which means we're going to attack everybody laterally and vertically down the football field and our special teams is going to be attacking in its own right. Um, I think the last thing that comes to my mind is this. I noticed coming out today, you run out on a football field and see these guys go out to work, and you go out there and they say something's odd about this place. There's one field goal post missing. (laughs) And uh, it hit me pretty fast. We had a little conversation, and I thought, well, I tell you what, is there not a better way to win and finish a season than making sure that we have a goalpost missing every year. So, <laughs> I certainly could not be more honored and charged to do this job. Um, I am so happy about building a staff and bringing them here and getting around the people of Troy, the players of Troy, and the staff of Troy. And again, I want to say how thankful I am for this opportunity, how grateful I am for you all to give me this opportunity. And I cannot wait to get my family here to enjoy this process and be a part of Troy. So I cannot wait. So go Trojans. Thank you very much. Of course, what he's alluded to, if you didn't know, when Troy won some belt, they tore down the goalpost. So there you go. If the goalposts are tore down at the vet after next season, that means after next season, that means Troy has won another some belt title. Oh, uh, let's go over quickly some other news and notes from, like I said, around the Southeast and here in Alabama. Starting with Alabama, they landed a big transfer portal commitment. Texas A&M defensive tackle LT Overton is transferring to Alabama. The six foot five, two hundred sixty five five pound defensive tackle announced on social media on Tuesday. He started twelve games in two years. He was a five star recruit in the twenty twenty two class for Texas A&M. On the Auburn side of things, looking ahead to their Music City Bowl matchup with Maryland, Maryland quarterback. Talia Tangavoela 
opts out of the bowl game. He is the Big Ten's all-time leading passer. Of course, he transferred from Alabama in 2019, brother of Tua. The other quarterbacks that we will be seeing from the Terrapins in the bowl game are Billy Edwards Jr., who's a redshirt sophomore, and Cameron Edge, who is a redshirt freshman. Combined 13 attempts from both quarterbacks on the season, but Coach Mike Loxley, when asked about it and when he talked about the news of Talia opting out of the bowl game to get ready for the NFL draft, he said, we know these guys could run our offense. So, seems like he's confident. We'll see. That could be an edge for Auburn, but uh, we'll still see. We shall see uh, when it comes down to that one. Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin has agreed to a contract extension there with the Rebels. He has led the program through their first two 10-win regular seasons. 10-win this year, and then two years ago they were a 10-win team as well. Terms have not be, been released, but it will play Penn State on December 30th in the Peach Bowl. Speaking of Ole Miss, they have done some great work in the transfer portal. Some of the names already pulled in from Hugh Freeze, from Lane Kiffin, excuse me, and Ole Miss, uh, Tennessee's pass rusher Tyler Barron, South Carolina wide receiver Juice Wells, and Arkansas linebacker Chris Paul Jr. are just a couple of names that Ole Miss has brought in. I look at the defense additions. I think defense has kind of been an issue for Ole Miss. So they get that shirt up, get that proved, and they can keep the offense like they are, uh, have been. Uh, this team could uh, be dangerous next season. Uh, and then some quarterback news from Georgia. Carson Beck is set to return in 2024. This is a quarterback that we could very well see be a Heisman front runner, Heisman contender for next year. Had a tremendous year in his first year starting for Georgia, especially when he kind of got settled in after the first couple games. But it's not all good news on the quarterback front for Georgia. Of course, Brock Vandergriff, he transferred to Kentucky. We saw that a few weeks ago. Now they lost an incoming uh, commitment, Dylan Rayola, who was the number eight recruit 2024 class, the top pocket passer. He flipped to Nebraska. So big news there for Georgia, having Carson Beck coming back. And also, if you look on Georgia's side, you've kind of lost some stuff there too with Vandergriff leaving the program and then Rayola announcing he is flipping over to Nebraska. But that's a big get for Matt Rule. And that could change things for Nebraska now because if you pull this kind of recruit in and he pans out, that could bring in a whole another another class of recruits in Nebraska. Maybe could get back to where they once were or where they're used to being in college football. And that's going to do it for today's edition. We'll be back on Friday, and I'll be joined by Dothan Eagle sports editor John Johnson, and we'll get more into the Troy stuff with Jared Parker, and we'll preview their matchup on Saturday in the Birmingham Bowl against duke remember you can follow me on social media at p jordan sec podcast available wherever you get your podcast and wiregrass if you're on apple Podcasts, please follow rate and review leave a review i will read it on a future edition of the show and if you leave just four stars you're just a straight up hater you can check out all my written work over at last word on college football and you can email me at sports jordan at gmail.com talk to you guys on friday till next time bye-bye